from New York, it's Ask an Engineer. Hey everybody, it's my favorite hour of the week. It's my time with Phil when we talk to you about what's happening in the maker community. New products, news, videos, guides, NPIs, it's all here on Ask an Engineer. That's right. So once on what's on tonight's show? On tonight's show, we're going to be talking about operating safe and smart. We are shipping. Thank you so much, everyone, for supporting us when you place an order pre-COVID photos. <laughs> we thank you, everyone at Adafruit. Um, we're here in New York City. Uh, New York City news, yeah. lowest positivity rate since the start. So everybody's been masking up. People are getting tested. That's right. And uh, we swabbed Adafruit. No COVID. So we've been operating kind of in the future. Whatever's happening here is the future. So um, I can tell you, it's not easy running a business, but we are doing it and we we're making stuff. USA, manufacturer, woman-owned company. Your orders help. Place orders. Please. Because that is what keeps us going. And we got some great new stuff. Yeah. On tonight's show, we'll be talking about show and tell people around the world, showing and sharing their projects and more. Talk about JP's workshop, some coming soon, and make code minute. We've got some circuit Python news, and then we're going to do the video version of the newsletter, Python on Hardware, towards the end of the show. Some time travel, look around world, makers, hackers, arts, engineers, and we'll also do some learn guides. We have some main New York City factory footage, some 3D printing. We got some DigiKey plus Adafruit Ion MPI, a new product introduction brought to you every week by DigiKey and Adafruit. We got some new products. We're going to answer your questions. We do that over on Discord, adafruit.it slash Discord. Yep. We can join all 24,000 of us. Oh, new graphic. All that and more on, you guessed it, Ask an Engineer. Yes. Hey, we got a packed show tonight. Yeah, we got a lot of stuff going on. Let's do this thing. Okay, well, uh, first up, just uh, a reminder. If you want to see what we do, adafruit.com slash open safely. You can also just go to adafruit.com and a little banner up at the top. We have been doing this for like five months. Five months. We publish all of our safety protocols, and we publish them from the start. That's right. And, um, you know, knock on wood or whatever, still proud to say, we're five months in, 160-plus <laughs> 60, 60 days, and no Adafruit team member has tested positive. No one's gotten sick. A bunch of us took antibody tests. and we I did, this test. We didn't even have uh, any antibodies, so we weren't even exposed to it. We've been operating as safe as possible, and we think that matters. If we take this seriously, then you know your product that you're getting was cared for just as much when it was being designed right. and thought about and made and shipped. So um, we're continuing. Um, no cut corners. No cut corners. Uh, and we didn't do any layoffs or furloughing or cut hours or pay cuts or anything. In fact, today was payroll. We were able to do it. And uh, we're still operating as a loan-free, venture capital-free company. Not opposed to it, um, but uh, we didn't do it. And we've managed to survive this long. So in case you're wondering out there, folks are like, well, should I start a hardware business? Should I do open source software? Should I do open source hardware? If a woman-owned manufacturing company in New York City can still manage to survive during the biggest financial devastation and um, health devastation, pandemic devastation, the city that got hit first the worst, yeah. we can do it, you can too. So uh, Adafruit was built in the last, you know, they called it the Great Recession, 2008. That's when we really... Um, figured out, hey, this is what we want to do, and that's when we really grew. Yep. So um, I guess in stock market terms, they say bullish. 
it, it is going to be tough, but now it, now is the time to start thinking about how we can rebuild better. Yeah. So, speaking of, lots of people are building better and yeah. showing and sharing their stuff every week. Lady Ada, who is on the show and tell, and what they shared this week? I'm glad you asked. This is not in any particular order, um, but uh, just because I wrote them down beforehand. Uh, Jepler came by and showed off an SI5351 triple output clock variant. He took our open source files, and he modified them to add a trinket and an external clock input. And he's like, open source works. He imported the EagleCAD into KiCAD, or KiCAD. And uh, he said it worked great, and he, he designed hardware based on our hardware, and that's what it's all about, sharing hardware. Colin uh, showed off a new synthesizer he's making using uh, the M4 Feather uh, dual DAC output and a pretty cool, like, Canon keycap grid of 4x4 four four keys or 5x5 five five keys. Erin has some new wire wrap necklaces that she's making. They're glowing necklaces. She's using old uh, hardware in her bin, like a... a trinket or a gemma or a flora even um and experimenting on how to make very thin um resin cast necklaces so there'll be a guide soon melissa i uh, did a whole bunch of display work this week she wrote a guide on the new e-ink bonnet uh so that's very exciting thank you melissa she's been uh, doing a great job taking care of all the displays here at adafruit and she's also uh, been working on adding um to the our old sharp memory display guide uh photos and code for the new sharp memory display that we have the 2.7 inch which will show off in the new product section and also um, we have display io support now in circuit python for it thanks to jepler uh, paint your dragon uh, showed off um, some uh, electronic eyes from halloween goodies that are available now so the electronic eyes he's been doing them for years and we've refined them from using a, a, a teensy to using a uh, itsy bitsy to then um, making the Halloween to then the monster mask we've improved uh, on eye technology but now he's seeing a low cost version of the eyes in Halloween decorations and he wrote a guide all about his discoveries I don't want to ruin it because it's not what you think check out his guide and then Pedro have an 8x8 pixel display we'll have a video for that it looks cool they made like a, a grid offset and are using LED acrylic for a really nice display so um, a beautiful little uh, desk toy NJP made a Bitcoin display. He's doing more RGB matrix projects with a Metro M4. We recently got um, a new supplier of RGB matrices, which allowed us to cut our prices on many of them by quite a bit. So we're doing a lot of RGB matrix projects uh, to get people excited about these uh, now less expensive displays. Liz came by and showed off some animations she had with Party Parrot. She's been playing with Display.io and uh, LED, uh, sorry, and uh, uh, Sprite animations using Display.io on CircuitPython. Nick uh, came by with a really cool project. He's got two kids, and they use the internet, and their biggest nightmare is the internet goes away. So he made internet kill switches, which is a wireless device that uses a Pi Zero with the battery pack. And when he presses the button, the Pi Zero logs into the house firewall and uh, blocks the kids' uh, MAC addresses at the firewall level so they don't get internet access. And so he's using this as a, both a fun trick to see if they can get through it and maybe also a unique type of discipline. Uh, I know I would be terrified if the internet was ever taken away from me. 
And then Mark came by, talked about how he published an e-ink guide. He says uh, he was inspired by all the guys that we write to publish a guide, which is awesome. I love it when other people write guides. It means I don't have to do it. And uh, also 3D printed a large version of his backlit lithopane that's a wedding gift. And that's who was on Show and Tell. All right. Show and Tell is part of our Ifrit Live series of shows. Every week, 7 p.m., Show and Tell. And every week, Ask an Engineer, you're watching it right now. Every Sunday, around 8 o'clock-ish, we have Desk of Lady Ada. And in Desk of Lady Ada, every week, we have a new segment called The Great Search. And it's where Lady Ada uses all of her skills to, to search. search on the DigiKey site. Check that out. You might learn some stuff. Yeah. Tomorrow, Thursday, JP's going to have JP's workshop. And here's a little bit of preview of what you're going to see on tomorrow's show. This is Bitcoin price counter made with electronics. And every single week on JP's workshop, we have Make Code Minute. Take it away, JP. For the Make Code Minute today, I wanted to build a essentially a pitch pipe for tuning a ukulele. Now, this is not a tuner in that it's not going to tell us when we have the right uh, notes, but it's instead going to give us a reference pitch so that we can then tune the strings by ear. Uh, so here's my daughter's ukulele. Um, so what I've got is this little Circuit Playground Express, and when I press the uh, A button, it's going to cycle through those notes for us. And then if we want to just play one of those notes while we're tuning, we can use the four capacitive touchpads here. Let's take a look at how uh, I built this in make code. Uh, you can see here I have a, an array that I build on start that is the array of my four pitches. There's my little note to myself, uh, G, C, E, A. So these are those pitches in hertz. Uh, and then I have a variable that I created called note, and that's essentially which string we're on, which note we're playing. And here you can see every time we press the A button, I first blank the pixels, turn them black, then I set the pixel at the current note to pink. I play a tone at whatever this pitch's string has in the place of the current note. So originally, initially that's zero. Uh, when we are done playing it, we then increment that variable note by one. So it essentially means we're moving to the next string for the next time we use this. Uh, and then we're also using this modulo, remainder of note divided by four, to loop through one, two, three, or zero, one, two, three, zero, one, two, three, zero, one, two, three. Uh, the individual touch pads are done using this input touch A4, A5, A6, and A7. And they do the same thing, but it's a little simpler because they just explicitly say play pitch zero, one, two, or three. And you can do it inside of the uh, simulator here, and you can even test out those touch pads. You won't hear that right now. Uh, but if I use my real uh, Circuit Playground Express down here, you can use those to tune up your uke. And that is your Make Code Minute. Okay, and we have some Python on har hardware news. Um, first up, 
We have 8,000 subscribers on the Python Hardware Newsletter. I think I this is... I remember we hit 2,500. This is, I think, uh, the most popular Python on Hardware Newsletter. It's um, the only Python on Hardware Newsletter. For but it just goes to show. It's like 8,000. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of subscribers. It is a lot. It's a lot. Um, it's one of our... It's our fastest growing newsletter. So if you were wondering what's all the the hubbub about Python on Hardware, um, can you hand me that makeover there? I would love to hand you that. Yeah. Name. So I'll, uh, I'm going to be talking about this later, but also on the cover of the latest Make magazine, The Rise of Python. And it's all about Python on hardware. So good timing. Um, you know, there's a, there's enough out there that uh, people are I'm doing with hardware. You can see there's a lot of stuff. Chinese guy. Yeah. So okay, cool. big news. Leave that there. Oh, sorry. And um, we also have CircuitPython Day coming up, 9-9. Snakey. Yeah, it'll be in a few weeks. So we'll probably have uh, shows and more international celebration of Python on hardware. Hope to see you there. Stay tuned to the blog. We'll have shows. It happens to be a Wednesday. So unless something um, bonkers happens, uh, we'll be doing a celebration probably with the CircuitPython team throughout the day and or evening show. Stay tuned. All right, time travel. Let's look around the world of makers, hackers, artists, engineers, stuff that's going on, and more. Um, this week, a little bit of a reminder. Um, so we've been doing this for a while. We did pay day off for voting. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just voting and voting, 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 everything. Everyone's just, just done voting. Every, yeah, like right now is the DNC. Yeah. Uh, everybody's doing virtual stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's also mail-in ballot stuff, mail-in ballot uh, drama um, but here's the thing that you can do if, if you're a company or if you work at a company um, may has well uh, since it's in the news say hey like what would it take to get the day off to go vote because th- this might be an and all it might day. take a long time to vote this year <laughs> yeah so you know a few years ago when we did this uh, definitely one of the only companies um, I emailed other other companies uh, some of the leaders of other companies scolded me. How dare I email them and suggest their teams get day off? Um, whatever. Um, so one of the things that I think is going to be clear is uh, it's going to take a little bit longer to vote this year. Yeah, probably. So if you need any help, if you work at a company, email me, pt at adafruit.com. I can tell your HR person or you know maybe a manager, hey, this really worked out well for us. It increased productivity, increased morale. Um, we've been doing this long before this election, and it just uh, it just helps, I think, demonstrate, especially in the U.S. because we don't have it as a national holiday. And it's on Tuesday. It. It's a work day. Yeah, and uh, you know, there's enough anxiety people are going to have. It's, it's a thing you can do. Also, they need more poll workers. A lot of poll workers are yeah. older Americans. Uh, it's just true. And uh, a lot of those older people should be staying home and staying safe. So more poll workers are needed. So not only do we need more people to vote, we need more people yeah. to watch people vote. So there's going to be a bunch of stuff going on, and this is just something a business uh, can do. It's easy. And so this is the, 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 the portion where we're like, hey, this worked out. And if we can do it, a woman-owned manufacturing company in New York City, if we can manage to still stay in business by giving the day off to go vote, then you can too. And so... Here's a hint. People aren't going to do that much work on a voting day anyways. They're all going to be, like, looking at results and, like... Yeah. Talking and... Um, 
but you know this is I think uh, Coca-Cola just announced they're gonna okay. make a they're, they're gonna yeah. do a paid day off like the, the other thing that there's no way to stop this so I'm just gonna talk about it okay because <laughs> I think you have to like say these things there's a tendency for people to uh, when something when there's progress that happens they, they tear it down so I saw that Coca-Cola is gonna do the paid day off yeah and right away people started saying well but if you're this type of but what about this what about that and it, they, they can't acknowledge that this is just a step in the right direction for Coca-Cola because yeah. Coca-Cola is such a giant company they're, they're the most they're, multinational company in the world yeah so like it's a game more multinational so they, they agreed that they're going to do a paid day off so like I like just celebrate that just for a minute and then like hey like there's independent bottlers so they can decide how they're going to do that and like once it comes from corporate though like that's the first good step this is like a big company like Coca-Cola saying we're giving our employees a paid day off yeah um it's a good first thing so um you know always hold people accountable and like criticize but at least take one second to say hey good, good work job. yeah good work because I, I think one of the things that happens now is when good things happen people get caught up and they divide themselves in the camps too early at least agree that something is kind of good good direction hate each other later yeah but like you know, time to hate yeah so so anyways um just check it out. Coca-Cola yeah. announced it. It's a big deal. Big deal. Um, next up. David Sandhews is on the show and tell. And uh, normally Kevin is. And Kevin is from DigiKey. David's from DigiKey. And uh, Kevin posted this video up on his Twitter. And um, this is from the Make Board Guide. Can you hand me the board guide over there? So this is the insert that comes with the latest Make. And we like this Make and we're stocking in the store now because it's all about Python and hardware, but um, that's what your phone will do when you shine it on a page in the board guide. Android or iPhone. Yeah. Both. And um, it'll it'll pop out the boards. And this year there's a bunch of Adafruit boards. Thank you, Mick. And uh, there's also a Lady Ada that talks about some of the boards. You, you, if you put your phone so, in it, I will appear. This is a really neat futuristic way and you can go to digikey.com slash boards and you can download the PDF you don't even need to get the magazine but um, the app is free and you can spin around Hi everybody it's boards. me Lady so Ada here to tell like. you about the trends that uh, I've seen here. this year um, with so development that, boards that cool. for Digikey's um, board guide I used to work so let's jump right in and I also do a bunch of stuff in publishing I will say this is probably one of the best makes that have come out and I can say that without, you know, of course it has Adafruit stuff, but I would say that regardless. Yeah, it was actually good. It is a good issue. Yeah. Um, it's good to see they're still around. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think because we've been doing this for so long and, and I was a part of Make and we used stuff at Hackspace and I started Hackaday, like, you know, we... It's it's high praise. So if you're gonna if you're gonna subscribe or you're gonna do something for we don't get any money when you subscribe to Make, but this is um, this this to me is like what Make is all about. It's like this is making stuff, scripting languages on hardware. Here's all the latest boards. Um, good work, Make, and good work DigiKey on putting everything together for the board guide. Okay, we are an open source hardware company. It's True. We have 2,267 guides. Lady Ada, what's on the big board this week? I'm glad you asked. Starting from the top left, we have JP's Network Connected RGB Matrix Clock. It's a gigantic customizable clock. Pick your font, pick your colors, pick your
pick whatever. And because it uses the internet at the time, it always adjusts automatically to daylight savings time. It's always like atomic level correctness because it's like NTP synced. Um, it's a fun little project you can build for a clock. He needed a big clock in his workshop. Um, we also have a guide, thanks to Katni and Melissa for writing up a guide on the new 2.13 inch monochrome ink bonnet for Raspberry Pi. This product was very, very old, uh, but I finally finished it. Uh, thanks to lockdowns, I had nothing else to do. And it's in the shop now, so you can add a, a monochrome ink bonnet. And we have Python code uh, for you to display images. And Melissa even has some tips and tricks on dithering images to appear nicely on a monochrome display. The Ruiz brothers uh, made a cool desk toy using an 8x8 NeoPixel matrix, um, a 3D printed like grid box, and some LED acrylic. We'll show a video about that shortly. Brian uh, wrote up a guide for the new MS8607 PHT sensor. I like the sensor because uh, now there's a competition for Bosch. Uh, TE now has a sensor that has uh, pressure, humidity, and temperature all in one sensing at a good price. And we have a guide with Arduino and Python and circuit Python code. Phil B uh, wrote a guide called I Shoot Out. Uh, sounds like something you shouldn't do, but it's actually a teardown of Halloween electronics that have started to appear in uh, Lowe's and Home Depot that have eyes in them. And he was like, hey, that's like really close to the I code I wrote. And how did they do that? And so he, he does a really good teardown and analysis of exactly how these uh, TFTIs, low-cost TFTIs are working. And it's not what you expect, or maybe it is. Carter wrote a guide on making a Pi Portal hurricane tracker. Very handy because it's starting to become hurricane season. When you put it on your desk, you tell it your, your basic location and it'll show hurricanes as they approach as a little red hurricane symbol. So it's kind of cool. You get data from uh, NOAA, I think. Uh, Brian also wrote another guide for the AS7341. It's a um, new 10 channel light and color sensor. It's new in the shop this week, so check it out and you can read the guide. Again, we've got code in Arduino and Python, Circuit Python. And this was from last week, but why not? Dylan wrote a really great guide about the Pi HQ camera, the high quality camera, and all the different lenses you can use, um, the effects that the lenses have, and how you can connect your own favorite lenses. And that's the guides. Okay, yeah, we'll be showing um, this off shortly and more. Okay, we'll have more guides next week. As every week. Main New York City factory footage this week. Um, you know, we take photos around New York City uh, when the pandemic was peaking in March and April. Um, I was documenting each night, but now um, there's other stuff going on. You know, businesses returned and um, there's outdoor dining, but um, this is outside our post office uh, right near us. Same as the post office. So, um, you know, New York has a variety of sidewalk art and paste-ups and more. Right now, a lot of folks are worried and concerned about the post service. So you'll start to see that around some old photos. Yeah, it's old pick and place. This is a pick and place from back in our apartment days. And uh, I we did a lot with 10 this. years ago, yeah. Yeah, we, it started the, the business. I mean, like it was a... It was a picking place that ran on 120 power and could fit through a door in an apartment, and that's why. Yeah. That's why we had it. It's just filling up trays. Sometimes uh, parts get loose; they come out of trays, and we have a custom tray that we can put in the picking place. This is, I think, some adding some paste to the stenciler. We gotta do that every once in a while. Keep it full up. We got a new pump for the selective solder machine. You can see the new one on the right. 
And the old one on the left, you can see how beautiful and shiny the new pump is. This is us cleaning off components for the selective solder. You can see it's quite an adventure. But now it's nice and shiny. You can tin it. factory footage without a time-lapse of all the construction going outside Never across stops. the street from Adafruit. So this is um, Disney, one of Disney like headquarter buildings that they're building right across the street from us. And uh, they just keep going. That's the only thing they didn't pause yeah. in New York. Not okay, 3D printing every single week. No Pedro, our printing up storm. This week we have two videos back to back. It's the little display and then we're going to do a speed up. We'll see you on the other side. Hey, what's up folks? In this project, we're making a square LED display with NeoPixels in CircuitPython. This project uses the 8x8 NeoMatrix and a 3D printed grid with a piece of acrylic to create a square pixel display. We designed a 3D printed case and fitted the Feather M4 Express on the back. The effect is created by blocking out each pixel and diffusing the LEDs with a special piece of acrylic. The Proto Feather Wing makes it so you can easily swap out the board, which is nice if you want to upgrade to something with Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. The Feather Wing allows for that extra bit of modularity, so you can upgrade this with any number of feathers. This special material goes by black LED acrylic and has some interesting optics. The further the material gets from a light source, the softer the diffusion. Typical acrylic like this tinted gray is really opaque and it doesn't offer any diffusion. The black LED acrylic is essentially designed for LEDs, so it's much better in comparison. This example code is part of the LED animation library for CircuitPython. It shows how to use the Pixel Map Helper to easily create horizontal and vertical grids. The Learn Guide covers best use cases and features demo code that you can quickly put together. We think it's a great way to get started with NeoPixels, and CircuitPython makes it easy to get up and running. The CAD assembly snap fits together and features built-in standoffs for securing the NeoMatrix. 3D models of the PCB and components were used to create parts with precise fittings. You can get the parts to build this project, links are in the description. The enclosure parts can be 3D printed without any support material using PLA filament. The NeoMatrix and Proto Featherwing are connected with a JST cable for a plug-and-play assembly. Be sure to check out the Learn Guide for a full step-by-step -step tutorial. 
The 3D printed grid features cutouts for fitting over the caps on board the Neomatrix. This allows the grid to be pressed up against the surface and prevents any of the light from leaking. The piece of acrylic fits inside the cover and rests over the lip so it doesn't fall out. The cover fits over the grid and snap fits over the edges of the PCB mount. Definitely check out the 8x8 Neomatrix from Adafruit. It's a nice board with lots of pixels and mounting holes so you can make some cool projects with it. I hope you try out CircuitPython in your next project and don't forget to make a great day. every single Wednesday, the longest running 3D printed show, 3D Hangouts. Learn everything. Yeah. Okay. Let's go on to... Okay. DigiKey and Adafruit bring you... This week's Ion NPI is from Allegro Lady Ada. What is this week's new product introduction? Okay, this is cool. I like it when there's new companies. I don't think we've done the Allegro uh, chip yet, uh, but I like Allegro, an American company, I think. And uh, they've got a cool logo. Their old logo I thought was also really cool, but this one, it, I like the die, you know, the, the die chipped and they got the rainbow thing still going on. That's cool. Um, so Allegro is known for doing magnetic sensors. And they also um, have some motor controllers and stuff. They do robotics and current sensing. They're very specialized. Um, and they haven't been purchased by Maxim, I think. So this is a great time to take a look at their new sensor, the ACS 3702. So I'm just going to call it the ACS 37 because it's a, it's a long number. And this is a new generation of uh, isolated current sensor. This is current sensor is actually taking good advice from the medical community and staying isolated from others, like their circuits. So this is an isolated current sensor. So how do we normally measure current? Well, this is like an old project I did. And a common way to measure current is you have a very small resistor and it's either on the low side, it's between the device you're measuring the load of or the, the draw of and ground. And then you have an op amp, you see here in the center an op amp. Um, and it has like a high gain, maybe like a hundred or a thousand. And then um, after you amplify that, you measure the voltage, and then you kind of divide by the gain, and it tells you, um, and the resistor, and it tells you the current. Okay, well, you can also, uh, you know, do high side. Low side is kind of annoying because your ground kind of ends up, you have two grounds. You have the real ground and then the fake ground. 
So there's also high side sensing, and it's kind of like this, but the other way, the resistors on the top of the power supply. Um, but this also has some issues. One, the voltage that you're measuring on the power might be much higher than the voltage of your op amp or your circuit. Like you might be measuring a 12 volt battery or a solar panel, um, but your circuit is running at three or five volts. So you could get a custom chip, and some of these have, you know, they do the gain and, and they can have high uh, voltages, and so you can do higher low side sensing. But either way, your measuring circuit is referenced against what you're uh, measuring the load of. It's part of the same circuit. The ground is the ground on both sides, um, whether it's high or low side sensing. And there are a lot of situations where you want total isolation. You don't want any connection at all between what you're measuring and uh, the measurement circuit. This could be because you have high voltages, you have AC, you have, um, you know, there's, you, you want to reduce noise that may couple across the two circuits. A lot of reasons why you want to have isolated current measurement. So, this, uh, this series of sensors from Allegra, what they use is instead of having a resistor where the current goes across the resistor and you measure the voltage differential, it actually measures the uh, magnetic field generated from current passing through a conductor. Now, you may remember this from your E&M class, you know, as, as current passes through, right-hand rule, you have a magnetic field that is generated. And uh, in this case, you just see here a Hall effect sensor demonstrating that it can measure the output. And with careful calibration, you can take that magnetic flux and back correlate it to how much current. You have to do a lot of calibration. You have to make sure that your Hall effect sensor is the same every time and that the resistor is very precise. But it is possible to get very good quality current sensing. So um, you may be familiar with an earlier Allegro chip, the ACS712, which was a very popular chip. Um, this could measure under 50 amps. Um, it had about 4% error. It uh, had high bandwidth. And um, it basically you'd have, um, on one side you have, you can see the thick traces are the uh, two traces that are in line with your circuit. Now it does have to be in series with the circuit, but you can see it's on one half of the chip and it can be high side, low side, middle, it can be anywhere you want because again, it's completely isolated electrically. And the output is a voltage and the voltage uh, you know, it's either zero with the middle and it goes above and below, or it's ratio metric, or it could be from zero to above if it's only positive voltages. Either way, this is the old generation. And um, so if you're familiar with that chip, this is the next generation. This is a really cool image you can see here. Um, there's the Hall effect sensor in the center and you see how there's like four pins for each connection. So you have like a lot of current pass through. And the, there's a basically a resistance that's very low. I think it's like 0 0.4, uh, oh, uh, sorry, 0.4 milliohms. Uh, so it shouldn't affect your uh, current uh, draw or your voltage across the chip as much. And then there's an electrical isolation using a plastic layer um, between the Hall effect sensor and um, the magnetic plate. It's uh, sorry, the um, the plate that it's measuring the electrical current coming through. Um, what's nice about the chip is it's a much higher quality chip than the ACS 712. Um, the uh, inline resistor is much lower. I actually wrote that down. So hold on. So uh, one thing is you can uh, measure much higher currents. So it can go up to 66 amps, which is kind of nice. Um, the resistor is much lower. I think it's about one half. The linearity is a lot better. It's about twice as good. There's 
you know, a lot of things that are improved with the circuit. Um, so this is the next generation. So if you've been looking at the ACS712, I recommend looking at this chip as an upgrade. Um, another nice thing is there's a gain selection. So there's all these extra pins, so they added gain selection. So there's, um, you can see here on the top right, uh, you can set the gain uh, by, there's two pins and from zero, zero to one, one. You can have different gains from 30 millivolts per amp up to 60 millivolts per amp. So you can tune it to get, uh, you know, the best performance because you want to have your uh, current range be very close to, but slightly larger than what you're actually expecting to measure. There's also uh, interrupt pins and, and some other uh, good stuff. This chip does come in a wide variety. Uh, one thing I noticed is that there's kind of like a high, there's like a low noise version, and then there's also like a high range version. So you want to take a look. It's like if you want um, different ranges and different sensitivities, nothing unlike the ACS 712, this comes in a nominal 3.3 volt uh, voltage for um, analog to digital converters, which is really nice because most chips these days are 3.3 volt. If you do though, you have to pick the 3.3 volt version. So there's like a five volt and a three volt. Just make sure you pick the right one. You can look at the selection guide here shown from the data sheet. You know, basically decide is it gonna be, you know, bi-directional current, great. There's a couple that do bi-directional. Um, what is your logic level voltage? And then do you want uh, higher precision, lower noise? And then you can kind of uh, pare down to figure out the exact model you want to get. Um, but you can pick these up at DigiKey. They're in stock now, and I even picked right. up some myself. So I thought I'd show on the overhead, and then we could watch a video that's, again, it's for the older ACS yeah. 712, but the same kind of concept. And it's a nice video from the I normally read the product ID number, but this one's it's super so long. long, but it's digikey.com slash short slash ZRB8P4, um, but you can also just search for it. And let's check it out on the overhead, and yeah. then we'll play, um, we have a little video from them. Yes, so let me lock on. Okay, so this is how the chip comes. So it comes in at kind of a standard wide SOIC, and it's, of course, going to be hard to peel it off. Um, so this is the chip. And then, you know, one half, I think it's on this side. Four pins are the, you know, the one side of your connector, four pins are the that other side. Of I know, it's so, it's so small. There you go, that's cool. Um, yeah, one on the, I think that's on the right side. And then, um, yeah. sorry, yeah, four, four lower pins connect to one end, four other pins go to the other end, so that's in, in uh, series. And then you've got power ground, uh, two gain selects, and the interrupt oh, output. It's just too close. So it's nice and big um, and uh, easy to use. You can even prototype with it. And uh, very high current range. And uh, again, you can use it. I think the isolation is like 4.8 kilovolts or something. Um, and it's great for AC or DC. I want to mention that. Um, it can do up to 40, 400, kilo, 400 hertz AC. Which is one of the things that like a current transformer won't do as nicely for you. So I think um, solar panels use high uh, voltage and high frequency AC. It's one of the purposes of this is to help measure uh, solar panel output. So. All right, and let's uh, listen from the source. Got a little bit of a video. Current flows in and out of the package. It travels in the package through a three-quarter loop inside the package and then back out again. This current flow generates a magnetic field around the loop that is proportional to the magnitude of the current flowing in the conductor. 
The resistance of these Allegro sensor ICs is only about one milliohm, and therefore the power loss is extremely low, making them highly efficient in sensing currents as high as 50 amps continuous current. An Allegro Hall effect sensor IC is integrated into the package, and it senses the magnetic field generated by the current flowing in the conductor. The Hall transducer converts the magnetic field into a voltage. Flip chip technology allows the Hall transducer to be placed over the portion of the loop where the magnetic field is strongest. The flip chip technology also allows for the connection of the signal leads of the IC to the package leads on the other side of the package. This also provides the high isolation of these surface mount current sensor IC packages. While the Hall sensor IC is in close proximity to the current loop, there is an insulating layer of plastic between the two, as can be seen in this cross section. This insulating layer provides high voltage isolation and allows Allegro current sensor ICs to be used in AC line tied applications. And once again, don't forget you can get that on digikey.com, and that is. Okay, a right. great chip. And speaking of new products, it is now time, Lady Ada. That's right. Alright. Don't forget, we are shipping safe. We are shipping smart. We are shipping from New York City. The best comeback story <laughs> during this time that uh, I know of. So let's see what we're making this week. We got a I lot of stuff. Okay. So you get two SPI FRAM breakouts. Um, these are pretty neat. Actually, someone emailed us and said, hey, check it out. There's uh, new FRAM chips available um, from Fujitsu that are like really big. And I'm like, you're right. They're really big. Uh, we've had SPI and I2C FRAM, but they were like 32 kilobytes or something, which is okay, but we really wanted more. So we now have SPI FRAM uh, with a logic level shifter because these are three volt only devices in both two megabit and four megabit, which is actually kind of, hmm? yeah, they look kind of the same. The two megabit is just a smaller chip, oh. but they both fit on the same breakout. Uh, it's logic level shifted and there's a regulator, so you can use it with five volts Oops. or uh, can get this one. three volt logic and power. The difference between the two. One's chunky, see this one's, one's chunky, chunky, four yeah. megabit. Yeah. Svelte, two okay. megabit. So um, why are these great? Well, FRAM, allows you to store data in a non-volatile sense, which you write a byte, you've written a byte. Um, they don't have wear leveling issues like SPI Flash. So you can write each byte, I think like 100 billion times or something like bonk, 10 to the 12. It's a huge number. Um, you can write instantly. So it's much, much faster. You don't have to erase a page and then write a page. You can write each byte and you can write it instantly. So if you're doing data logging and you don't have like megabytes to, to data log, but you want to make sure that um, your data log is written instantly, it doesn't have to flush, and um, you can stream data to it much, much faster, again, than SPI flush, because you don't have to erase um, any pages, just write to the data as is, and we've got both Arduino and Python code to interact with these chips. Okay, next up, this one tried to sneak in. That's right, sneaky. This is um, a new little buck converter you know, I have a couple of buck converters. I'm designing some boards that have uh, uh, bucks in them. And so it's like, well, you know, I've got these chips here and I've kind of designed it. Might as well make a breakout. So this is a very low cost. 
uh, buck converter. It doesn't have the high range that the NPM 3610 has. We put this in the store a couple weeks ago. Those can do 20 volts. This can only do like five volts, maybe six volts in, 3.3 volts out. Can do about 1.2 amps, which is really nice. It's very small, it's inexpensive. I think this is still pretty handy. You know, if you have um, a small circuit that was running on 3.3 volts, you need about an amp, and you've got, you know, maybe a LiPo, or you got a couple AAA or AA batteries, or you've got five volt USB, this will be a, a great little addition to your circuit. And, uh, you know, you'll be able to get much more current than a linear regulator for the size and without the heat issues that you have with linear regulators. All right, next up. Next up, we have a new version of our RGB Matrix Featherwing, which people love. We had the M0 and M4 version, which was used for, as you may guess, our Feather M0s and M4s. But when we came up with the NRF52840, we were, you know, part of the deal is that you have to pick very special pins, and those pins were not the same on the NRF. So I kind of respun this board around a little bit to make it Feather NRF52840 compatible. So it works with both the Feather Express NRF52840 and the Feather Sense. You can uh, assemble it in two ways. One way is you have like the socket on the top. So you can have the board side by side and the RGB matrix plugs into the top. The other way to do it is um, where you solder it onto the bottom. There's a socket connector you put on the bottom. And then um, when uh, you want, you can plug it into a board. So for example, let me just show this off. This is a feather sense here. So it's got all these sensors built in and I've um, soldered up the wings so that it has these sockets on the bottom. So you see the feathers on top, which is nice. You can see all the sensors and the light sensors and the switches and the LEDs are available. And then this plugs into the matrix. And then I've got this demo. So let me see if can reset it. So this is my, uh, I'm gonna have a little bit. This is a very big matrix. So I've got this LED sand demo from the Feather Sense, which has an accelerometer in, in it. Um, it can you know, measure tilt, and so it knows when I'm moving it, and the LEDs uh, move with it kind of in a, in a cool, fun way. So again, That's LEDs, cool. and then LED sand. So just ported this demo over, and what's nice is how uh, clean the wiring is. Again, no, no jumpers, no breadboard. Um, you know, you plug it right in and then you just have the power connect through and then you can power it from a DC jack very easily. So it's a great addition and you still have all the sensors here. You have the Bluetooth and uh, we've got Arduino and CircuitPython code for driving these matrices now. So very easy way to make a glowy project. All right, next up, let's go to... Ooh, this is a cool sensor. So this is uh, a new sensor that Brian Sedacious uh, put together and it took a couple weeks but it was worth it so this sensor is a multi-spectral sensor it has 10 uh, color sensors inside of it like different wavelengths you can see the wavelengths in the back 415 445 480 515 555 590 uh, 630 680 um, clear and near IR so you know you've got uh, eight visible colors one clear which is kind of like you know general white overall lux and then near IR. And you, it can measure these uh, separately as individual bins. And that's kind of neat because you can do, it's like a very small, very basic uh, spectrometer that works over I squared C. 
Um, it's very inexpensive considering what you're getting with it. And I think it can be really useful for science projects or uh, it's used for um, you know, detecting the true color of lights or monitors to calibrate them. But I think it can be really cool for like some science or sensor projects. It's a very interesting new sensor. All right, next up. Okay, we finally got this in the store. We have the sharp memory display, uh, 2.7 inch sharp memory display. It's finally in stock. We've carried the smaller version of this display, uh, like 1.3 inch or 1.5 inch, but we saw the 2.7 inches had come down in cost somewhat to the point where it was like, oh, we can make a breakout. Uh, so this is a very high resolution screen. It's 400 by 240 pixels. So you can like, you can see here the individual pixels. All the other demos I had to use kind of chunky, um, larger graphics because it was hard to see it because it's such like a, a fine pitch display. Um, it runs off of both three and five volts. You actually need both voltages, I found out. So uh, we put both a boost converter, a little uh, switch cap converter, and a linear regulator. So you can use it with three volt or five volt logic. Um, and then I ported Bad Apple to it, so I could show that. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, one second. I got to get my demo. That's going to be overhead. And uh, show this off. So I, the only thing is the Bad Apple demo I took was 128 by, oh. oh no, my demo didn't work. There you go. Yeah. Oh wait, there you go. Ground wire disconnected. Um, the only thing about this is I had to use a, uh, a, a binary file that's uh, 128 by 64. So everything looks really chunky because I, I scaled it up uh, by four times. Um, but what's really nice about this demo is it shows you both um, the refresh and um, the contrast and how it looks in real life um, with the, you know this, this yeah. silvery background and these black pixels. It's a very unique display, um, extremely daylight readable. Uh, you do need to have light shining on it though. It doesn't have a backlight. Yeah. You can do that and the, you can see it's actually a little shiny. Yeah, look how sharp it is. It's, uh, it's very sharp. a sharp display. It's, it's called a sharp display and it is a sharp display, even though it's the company it's called yeah. sharp. So um, very high resolution display. One thing to watch out for, um, you really want to have a hardware SPI port to control it because there's a lot of pixels and you need a chip with a lot of RAM because you have to buffer the whole display. So this is not gonna run on an Uno or a Leonardo. You'll need at least like a Mega or like a Raspberry Pi or an M4 or an M0 board uh, in order to drive these um, beautiful displays. So very nice, also very thin. Okay, right along next up. Okay, next up, we've got some NeoPixel neon strip. I don't know, I kind of like these neon strips. I know we have a lot of them, but this one is RGBW. So it's a, it's a NeoPixel strip of, in, of encased silicone. So it's like flexible and very beautifully diffused. Um, and one of the, and each LED inside not only has red, green, but also has white. So you can see this cool, cool white color, as well as the you know the normal red, green, blue. So this is uh, it runs off of five volts, which is really nice. This is a looks like a normal RGBW NeoPixel. It's too washed out. Yeah, that's thing. a cool. Uh this is the plastic that we use yeah. to better show. It shows LEDs. I've solved the problem of how to use to show it's a nice LEDs. It's rainbow. Yeah, that's oh, really cool. Nice. Uh, this is, uh, and this is just showing it's, it's pure white. 
and then it goes back to the rainbow swirl. And um, what's nice about this is it's you know very flexible. Um, you can uh, twist and bend it. We see this a lot uh, making cove lighting or like fake neon signs. So what I like about this is we had a couple versions that were like 12 volts or they weren't RGBW, so we finally have one that's RGBW. I think this could be great for some kind of nifty art installations or lighting installations. All right. Okay. Moving right along. Moving right along. You got a lot to get through. Yeah. There's this... Uh, okay, so you got this magnetic strip. Magnetic strip. This is such a weird thing. I don't know if anyone's going to want it, but I thought it was interesting. So what it is, it's a multi-pole magnetic strip, and this is used by CNC builders. And um, a lot like that current sensor I was talking about, um, what you do is you have a Hall effect sensor or a magnetometer, and you measure along the strip, and by measuring um, how the poles flip back and forth on the strip, you can determine uh, what your position is and your speed and your direction. So it looks just like normal, like low-cost magnetic uh, material. It's got that like kind of a dark gray look. This is a magnet viewing film, so this lets you kind of see. It doesn't tell you the polarity, but it tells you where there's a magnetic field. So they put it over, you can see that there's um, alternating poles. So it goes north-south, north-south, et cetera, et cetera, every five millimeters, and it's very precise. And so if you have a magnet, a Hall effect sensor that can detect north or south polarity, as it moves, even though these are five millimeter apart, it can measure the change in strength, which will be a sine wave, right? It'll be, it'll, it won't be a perfect square wave, it'll be a sine wave. It can measure the speed and um, location along the strip. And it's, this is much more flexible than an optical strip, and you don't have to have um, uh, the delicate optical strip. This, you know, this will, of course, survive much harsher environments because the magnetic sensor doesn't have to be physically touching or surrounding the strip. It's kind of interesting material. Uh, so we give it to you in um, a meter long uh, strip cut off for you. Um, you can cut it with uh, you know, a powerful shear. It's got a uh, 3M um, adhesive on the back. I'm not gonna peel it off because yeah. it's extremely sticky as and I found out. And you can splice it to the size you want? You just cut it. Yeah, you just cut it into the size you want. I know, I mean, you're not gonna be, like this is a meter long. You're not gonna be making a CNC that's a meter long probably. Um, but, you know, I remember, like, when I was in school, there was always this problem of, like, you wanted to measure um, motion across a line, but you didn't want to get, like, a whole custom optical sensor. So I think even though this is not inexpensive, um, it is a, a really easy-to-use solution, right? You can use the same code that people have for everyday magnetic encoders, um, and you just use it on a linear strip rather than, again, rotating uh, sensor. So, multi-pole magnetic strips. Somebody emailed us and said you should carry this, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And uh, now yeah. we're carrying it. Alright. Next up. Okay, now we've got a family of motors. So, these are the first N20 motors that we're stocking. Um, we wanted to hit it off with a bang. So, these are, like we mentioned, uh, encoder-enabled N20s. So they're the N20 size, which is kind of a standard size DC geared motor, and they've got a D-shaft on the end. But what's really cool is um, it's not just a motor. It has an encoder built in, a magnetic encoder that has both direct, you know, it has uh, two outputs, and so you can tell both direction and speed. And uh, these are really great little encoders. 
I've got a demo, you can show a little video. And we've got multiple gears. So I think we've got one to 50, one to 100, one to 150, and one to 300. So I kind of tried to pick you know, a, a range that uh, people could use for their projects. And um, I'll plug this in. Uh, they have differing, they have the same current. So all of them um, are, this way. All of them are uh, six volt nominal, but you can drive them at 4.5 or five volts. I'm doing here five volts off of the USB. And um, they all draw about uh, 100 milliamps while rated, like running normally, and 200 milliamps while stalled. So not the most powerful motors, but you know, I think it's a good trade-off of speed and size and cost. On the back, there's this little uh, magnetic wheel. It has, I think, uh, 14 poles, seven pairs, and then um, you have to, you can, uh, sorry, you can power the motor with two wires through like any, uh, you know, uh, brushed DC motor driver. And then there's another two pins, uh, two wires, one for power and ground for the logic levels. So it can be three or five volt logic. And then two more outputs you can connect to, say the interrupts of your microcontroller. And that's how this Featherwing setup is measuring the um, speed, RPM, and the direction. So you can see it knows it's going forward or backward. Um, and then, you know, there's uh, a lot of robotics, especially as you start to try to drive straight and you realize that your motors aren't perfectly um, equivalent. Having an encoder lets you make sure that all the motors are matched up. You can also tell when you're stalling, you can tell which direction you're going, you can uh, correct uh, if somebody uh, you know, bumps into your robot or something. So I thought this was kind of nice because it's like an all-in-one motor solution. You know, you don't need to use the encoder, but I think if you're paying for these, you should definitely hook up the encoder, at least one of them to tell the speed, two of them to tell the direction. All right. All right, so Next, uh... N20 motors. Oh, and we have wheels for those as well. We need wheels. Magnetic feet. Okay, so these are just like these like magnetic feet. These come with RGB matrices. But our um, latest vendor of LED matrices, even though um, they've let us really reduce the cost of our LED matrices, would not include the magnetic feet, which I was actually okay with. So um, now I sell them separately, a couple bucks. And if you want to mount your LED matrix on your fridge, for example, or on your multiple magnetic strip, pick these up, you get four, you screw them onto the back, they got magnets. Yeah. Okay. We now have the standalone AdaBox, the That's latest right. one. Get a clue. Get a clue and all the clue accessories. Yeah. You get uh, a pump and tubing and batteries and battery holder. Uh, you get a bonsai buckaroo. You get a glove and you can get a K95 mask. So you can build a yep. ton of projects. What's interesting is like usually we have more stuff in the box, but because the clue is so integrated, like it has like 10 different sensors built into it. Um, we have a lot of Clue projects, and it's on the cover of Make, so they yeah. know that you can uh, be inspired uh, with Arduino or CircuitPython to get a clue and, uh, you know, investigate the world around you. Yeah. And the star of the show tonight, besides you, Lady Ada, and our community and our team at Adafruit is? The MS8607 from TE. Uh, they make great sensors. This is a PHT sensor, also known as a pressure, humidity, and temperature sensor. Runs over I squared C, so we put some STEM IQT connectors on it. We're getting very close to 50 STEM IQT sensors and boards, which is very exciting. Um, Brian uh, 
did the code for this one. You can program it in Arduino or CircuitPython or Python, so it works on a Raspberry Pi in Arduino. A clue if you wanted to add another sensor. And uh, what's nice is that this is, you know, the, previously there was only the Bosch sensors that had these integrated pressure and humidity sensing elements, and now we have a new contender, which I always like. I like to see more options. Um, so here I've got a quick demo. I just have it plugged into a feather. So pressure, it's got the pressure, uh, about a thousand hectopascals. Uh, humidity, it's kind of humid in here, 65%. Temperature, a nice 27 degrees. If I breathe on it, I can make the humidity go up. Temperature goes up a little bit. And if I put my uh, hand over the sensor, I can make the pressure go up a little bit. So these can be used as altimeters. Uh, that, it's actually a little bit more uh, precise than the digits I'm showing. There's, there's more digits I didn't print out because it wouldn't fit on the, the screen. <clears throat> we use it as an altimeter. Uh, you can use it as a weather sensing. You can use it um, for you know, any kind of environmental or plant monitoring. So a lot of options. Uh, I like pressure, humidity, and temperature. Kind of it, it gives you a really good sense of you know, what's going on in the enclosure or the greenhouse or you know, your factory or what the weather's gonna be like. So uh, combine them together, it's a nice environmental sensor from TE. All right, and that is the product. New, 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 new. Whew, that's a lot of news. There was a lot this week. There was a lot. All right, so we didn't get to um, all of them. we're going to do questions and then we're going to play the Python on Hardware newsletter video edition as the end of the show. That's right. So once we play that, that's the end of the show. Yeah. Um, so let's get to some questions first. Okay. We're going to answer those. Um, we do the questions over on Discord, adafruit.it slash Discord. Um, go over there. That's the best place to ask the questions. Um, join all 24,000 of us over there. And um, I will recap one of the questions. Okay. Um, so one person said, what's the link for the standalone Adabox? Uh, George is going to post it up in the Discord uh, Thank you, right George. now. Um, it's Prax4491. Yeah. Um, someone had asked, can you splice the magnetic strip? We already uh, we said. You, I mean, if you, if you cut it, it's hard to fit it exactly. It's, you know, it's not going to um, be aligned perfectly, although you could use that magnetic view film to try to get it. I, I'd really just cut it to the length you need. Okay. Um, the other question, and I had answered it in the chat, was someone said, do we have any start to finish, like manufacturing, designing PCB, all the way to shipping a product? We did. Well, I do. They even, they even said for like something like the Circuit Playground. And uh, if someone's Very interested much. in all the things that go into a design like the Circuit Playground, um, you can Google for Maker to Market, DigiKey Adafruit, or you can go to our site and search on our little search box for the blog. Um, you can search for it on YouTube. It was a really popular series we did um, that goes from designing something, marketing, finding the parts for it, manufacturing it, shipping it, you name it. Design decisions. Yeah, it's there. Research. So check market it out. research, everything. Um, so, question for the show. Adafruit IO, the while or if IO status connected design time can be called more than just in the setup part of the Arduino code. Looking to call it very fairly frequently and integrate it with a phone SMS alert to check 
fails, so I know the Wi-Fi is down before even testing one to make sure it wouldn't cause problems with the server or anything else. No, you can yeah, you can do it as pretty much as often as you want. You can ping the server. You can also check your Wi-Fi, uh, you know, status um, from your you know whatever Wi-Fi connection in um, in Circuit Python. You can just you know if you're using Airlift, for example, you can ask for the status. It can tell you if it's still connected to the access point. Okay, I'm building a non-invasive glucometer. I need to measure very low current through the skin. I'll need an amp, but I'm not sure which one to use. Hoping there's one in the storage dismiss. If it matters, starting with Feather M4 Express and an airlift for data communications. I think for something like that, what you actually want to do is check out, um, you know, an app note from Analog Devices or TI, and they'll actually um, give you a suggestion because you'll want an instrumentation op amp, which we don't stock. Um, and you might want one that has very particular uses. So you might want to like Google for, you know, example circuit or app note, you know, glucometer or whatever, and then uh, check out those app notes and see what they suggest because they'll tell you what the specifications you need for that application. Okay, uh, have you seen any sling of USPS packages? Yeah. yeah. So we did see letters that, uh, you know, we have pretty frequent uh, either bills coming in or checks coming in or other types of mail and then we have things that have tracking numbers and then we have packages that are going outbound and we have packages that are going inbound and it looks like things that were going through middle of the country just took a little bit longer mm -hmm. and also depending where they came from in New York and I think that goes with some of the reports about like some sorting areas things were just taking longer Yeah. and then um, so some of it's anecdotally you know um, I had uh, things that would take three days at the most, go to five days, six days, seven days, re-delivery attempts yeah. where they say it's out for delivery, but then it goes back. Yeah. Um, we've kept track of this over the last like decade, and for outbound packages, leaving New York, going somewhere, that's been okay. So for us, getting postal packages to people has been fine, yeah. but it just seems like the, the general mail slowed down briefly. And it could be volume after you know July. It could be more people were doing more stuff in the mail. It could be some of the things that we've seen I mean, on the news. More people are mail ordering stuff. They're not going to stores. Yeah. So uh, what we don't have is um, the definitive data set. Like I'm going to keep doing the sample um, travel times on packages, but our outbound stuff seems to be okay. And it's mostly well, if we're for just packages, um, but some of the things that. Um, you know, just regular, hey, this seems different. Um, it seemed like letters and it seems like where they were coming from. Yeah. And that was just um, because we have a general idea how long things take. Like, we're a company that receives and ships things. Yeah. So, okay. um, I have a Huzzah 32 and it's too far away from my router connected Wi Fi. What should I do? Get a bigger antenna for your router. Oh, no, not what you can do on the Huzzah side. Okay. Um, question what kind of sensor can I utilize to detect the presence of a small animal or children in an automotive interior a PIR sensor might do the job um, yeah I think a PIR sensor is gonna is gonna work out really well I mean you can use a camera but that gets you know a lot more expensive and complicated because you have to do like you know open CV or something to recognize shapes although that would definitely work um, very well as well is, is actually having something with a camera like a Raspberry Pi it would, it would actually look for something that isn't um, the, the car itself it would, it would be able to see like there's something there that's moving okay is there any way to mount the encoder boards in line with the motor instead of the radially sort of 
I've only seen them this way, where they attach the back, and then they, you know, there's something that spins with the shaft, and then they measure. That's that's kind of the only kind of encoders I've ever seen. Okay, on the MS-8607, uh, the MS-8607 can do humidity all the way up to 100%. Long term, what is the highest humidity percent you would recommend for the components not to be eventually eventually have issues? Yeah, I mean, you don't want your, your stuff to oxidize. I'd say like 80% usually is what most things like to live at. But if you have like detailed questions about this sensor, I would actually contact TE and say, hey, here's my application. Uh, will this sensor work well in this application? Because they, they have a lot more information than what's in the data sheet. multiple optional power sources, what's the best way to isolate them? Um, I mean, you can't really isolate all your powers. You're probably going to want to share ground, but, you know, a couple of shocky diodes will do the job. Okay. All right. Well, unless there's other questions that come up, that's going to be our show for nine, everybody. Okay. Um, thank you so much, everyone. Like I said, we're going to uh, do the thanks, and we're going to say goodbye, but for the next 14 minutes or so, we are going to... Um, play the video version of the Python on Hardware newsletter brought to you by Tanya. We'll be hanging back there's, here. There's a lot going on. We'll see you on the other side. So I uh, wanted to say thank you um, to Cara in the thank Adafruit you, Slack behind the scenes uh, doing Adafruit community support and publishing. Um, and uh, also, Takara's an excellent author. Check out our blog. Yes. Um, and you can see the author. Yes. Um, that's, I, I, I read all of our blog posts, but I also, right. but I also gravitate towards um, authors that have stuff that I'm like, ooh, this is good. Yeah, um, she trained with you. I don't know about that. It's like Master Splinter I don't here know about that. Saying Leonardo has really good um, ninja techniques. And uh, thanks everyone in the chat. And thank you everyone um, who's been supporting us through all this. Uh, let's sneak in one more question. Okay. Question, I tried to make a PCB through JLPCB after seeing your video and of board them. It worked out pretty happy results. I'm curious if you have any experience with their pick-and-place prototyping service or anyone else you would recommend. I haven't tried their pick-and-place service, but I know other people have. Um, try it. People also like PCB way. I haven't tried either of those for assembly. Um, you do have to pick parts that are from within their libraries. It's like you just kind of have to be flexible so you have to design your board for their assembly service but yeah try it out okay all right so thank you everybody we'll see you next week and here is some python on hardware news bye everybody bye -bye. see you on the other side it's that time again this is katney with your weekly python on hardware news every week we put together the python from microcontrollers newsletter it is available through adafruitdaily.com head over to sign up and see all of the past and current newsletters or tune in each week to hear what's going on. Adafruit is working with the team to safely remain open as we continue to navigate COVID-19. For more information, visit adafruit.com opensafely. Adafruit is stocked and all orders are shipping. Expect possible delays as we continue to ramp up. Now is the best time to get orders in for your favorite products, including items for students. To find the latest Adafruit products and all of the essentials you love, visit adafruit.com. CircuitPython takes flight in Microsoft Flight Simulator. Wallarug posts to Twitter in Hackster.io, using CircuitPython with custom circuits to create a flight controller for Microsoft Flight Simulator. The author writes, For many years, I have used and played Microsoft Flight Simulator X. In anticipation of the upcoming release of the new version, Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020, I wanted to ensure that I had the best setup ready for flight. 
I knew that CircuitPython had a gamepad software library that makes your CircuitPython code appear like a joystick. I had an idea that this could be hacked up easily and made to suit my purpose. CircuitPython also makes working with hardware easy. James posts the CircuitPython Clue Cutebot, a higher-level CircuitPython library to allow Adafruit's Clue and Electfreak's Microbit Smart Cutebot to communicate while maintaining all of the functionality of the Clue, except for touch features. James writes, I am a teacher of young learners, and as such, the code was purposely left simple so I can use it with them. There is also a comment on nearly every line to help explain to my students what each line is doing. Video available from James Tobin on YouTube, and code available from J is for JT on GitHub. Tom Fleet posts a write-up of a 14-segment internet display by Joey Castillo. A somber scoreboard keeps real-time tabs on COVID-19 and other such adversaries, the big board of death. This project uses 21 custom HT16K33 14-segment display modules driven from an Adafruit Feather M4, which has four I2C buses to drive so many displays. The microcontroller is mated to an Adafruit Airlift Featherwing to connect to Wi-Fi. Data is collected via JSON format and displayed on the board. Details available at hackster.io. The display boards are custom, and the design is available from Joey Castillo on GitHub. Antelope IT posts to GitHub the source code and design schematics for a simple telescope drive controller for a telescope with basic stepper motor drives. The controller uses an Adafruit M4 Feather Express microcontroller and the Adafruit stepper and DC motor Featherwing motor drive. The software is written in CircuitPython. BIP is a project aimed to simplify the usage of Python for interacting with IDA. Its main goals are to facilitate the usage of Python in the interactive console of IDA and for writing plugins. In a more general way, the goal is to automate the recurrent task done through the Python API. BIP is also developed for providing more object-oriented Python-like API and real documentation. It includes both the traditional API and the Hexraise API. Code available from Synactive on GitHub. In this week's CircuitPython Deep Dive livestream, Scott streamed his work on the ESP32 TLS web access and memory. Check out the latest video and past videos at adafru.it slash deepdive. CircuitPython Day is September 9th, 2020. Adafruit has chosen 9-9-2020 as the snakiest day of this year. Much more to come on events and happenings to include a CircuitPython team livestream, collaboration with hardware and software folks, and highlighting all things Python and Python on hardware. It was with great sadness that the community saw the devastation of Beirut several days ago. So many residences were heavily damaged. It was a great relief to hear from our 2019 CircuitPython Day partners Lambo Labs Makerspace. Things have been quite tough these days, but so far all manageable. We did a roll call yesterday on all our maker communities. Aside from minor injuries and stitches, broken glass, broken window frames, aluminum and wood, and some broken cars, no real harm done. All the love from here in Beirut. Adafruit is dedicating CircuitPython Day 2020 to Lambo Labs and supporting NGO fundraising for the city. The Impact Lebanon fundraiser. Their focus is rebuilding lost homes, houses, historic landmarks, and affected hospitals. Campaign is available at adafru.it slash impactlebanon. Anera and Global Shapers fundraiser, an NGO which is coordinating with 12 NGOs including Red Cross Lebanon Division and Caritas. Their main goal is collecting funds to sustain the affected families until they can financially recover from the explosion. Campaign available at adafru.it slash globalshapersbeirut. Do you have ideas or suggestions for CircuitPython Day? Are you planning your own CircuitPython Day event? Let us know via email at circuitpythonday at adafruit.com. In CircuitPython news, CircuitPython Clue menu can make your Adafruit Clue multifunctional by adding a nifty startup menu to select the program you want to run. 
you no longer need to rename your files to code or main to run them. Simply drag and drop your files onto your CircuitPy drive and this menu program does the rest. Video available on YouTube from James Tobin and code available from J is for JT on GitHub. After a long process of designing, production, and testing, the CircuitPython compatible keyboard Featherwing from Arturo is available for sale. Check out details from Solder Party on Tindy. Toddbot posts to Twitter a video example with complete code of CircuitPython on M4 boards doing CapSense Touch.io. MW Weinberg posts to GitHub simulating Firefly flashes with NeoPixel LEDs in CircuitPython. Nitronics posts to Twitter their second project on using Python, CircuitPython, and Adafruit Blinka on the Zincberry to use Raspberry Pi shields with it. Mateo posts to GitHub scripts for using an ILI 9341 LCD with an Odroid XU4 in Python via Adafruit Blinka and CircuitPython. Rick Leander has written two new books on using CircuitPython, 10 games for the Circuit Playground Express, and Make Music with the Circuit Playground Express, 12 projects that make music sound and noise. In this week's episode of Microcontrollers with Kinger North, learn about controlling model train speed with CircuitPython and Arduino. In MicroPython news, MicroPython was accepted as an organization for Google Season of Docs. This means that there will be a dedicated three-month resource allocated to improving the MicroPython documentation. There is a document with the list of MicroPython Season of Docs project ideas. The Inkplate 6 is a 6-inch e-paper device powered by an ESP32 and was recently funded on CrowdSupply. Help out with the active port of MicroPython for the Inkplate. Details on CrowdSupply. The latest TTGO watch has been released on Tindy. The watch is based on an ESP32 with a color 1.54-inch display with touchscreen. It's proven popular in the MicroPython forums with a couple of repositories created to support the device. Daniel Thompson continues to improve his MicroPython-powered Wasp OS project that aims to bring a powerful, free, and open-source platform to the NRF52832 powered Pine Time Watch. His videos are a great way to get a sense for what is currently possible with this exciting project. Particularly cool, Daniel recently covered how the heart rate monitor feature was developed. Code is available on GitHub. MicroPython has had a couple of awesome lists, but MCauser's awesome list must be the most awesome of them all. There are a couple hundred curated links to libraries and tools, all with brief descriptions and grouped logically. Contributions are welcome. Check it out at awesome-micropython.com. The Tiny Blist 840 NRF52840 module is amazingly powerful. And did we mention that it's absolutely tiny? The creator, Hoan Hoang, has continued his support for MicroPython by submitting ports for the module and for the associated development boards. Details available on CrowdSupply. BlogMyWiki posts to Twitter reading a PS2 keyboard on a microbit with MicroPython. Card10 Badge posts to Twitter using MicroPython to interact with the Card10 Badge. Mark Winnap posts to Twitter Conway's Game of Life on an ESP32 with MicroPython and an LCD display. Video available on YouTube and code available on GitHub. YMT Lab posts a write-up on speeding up the line rewriting of a monochrome LCD with MicroPython ESP32 using SPI communications. Marlon S. Carvalho posts to Twitter using MQTT underscore as over micromqtt.robust in MicroPython. Matt has published the last couple of Melbourne MicroPython Meetup News Roundups. Read more about what's been happening in the MicroPython community in Australia and abroad. In Python news, Python.whl files, or wheels, are a little discussed part of Python, but they've been a boon to the installation process for Python packages. If you've installed a Python package using pip, then chances are that a wheel has made the installation faster and more efficient. In this tutorial titled, What are Python wheels and why should you care? 
You'll learn about what wheels are and how they compare to source distributions, how you can use wheels to control the package installation process, and how to create and distribute wheels for your own Python packages. Python T episode 10 featuring special guest Lukash Langa discusses release management, typing in Python, async IO, MIDI, and synths. Video available at twitch.tv slash nnjaio. The Real Python Podcast, Episode 22, Create Cross-Platform Python GUI Apps with Beware, is hosted by Christopher Bailey with special guest Russell Keith McGee. This and previous episodes are available at realpython.com slash podcast slash rpp. Free Code Camp posts to YouTube Network Programming with Python course. Build a port scanner, mailing client, chat room, and DDoS. The number of CircuitPython-supported microcontrollers and single-board computers continues to grow. There were no new boards added this week, but some are in the works. Are you interested in adding a new board to CircuitPython? Check out the Adafruit Learn system for a series of guides about getting your board added to CircuitPython and CircuitPython.org. There are four new Python on hardware-related guides in the Adafruit Learn system this week, including Explore the depths of your own personal ocean. Epoxy resin, alcohol inks, sand, and seashells come together to make this magical luminous ocean experience for your wall or desk. Each piece you create will come out unique, colorful, and beautiful. Build an ocean epoxy resin light box with RGB LED matrix image scroller in this guide from Aaron St. Blaine. Everyone's streaming from Zoom to Twitch to YouTube and more. This sign will let people know not to knock on your door when you're on air. When your favorite YouTube channel is streaming, this sign will let you know in gorgeous Art Deco-inspired style. You'll code it in CircuitPython, and the board's built-in Wi-Fi will allow it to check the YouTube data API to find out when a channel is live streaming. Build an RGB matrix automatic YouTube on-air sign in this guide from John Park. This project is a neon-like sign with NeoPixels in CircuitPython. It uses a LEGO-compatible base plate and 3D-printed clips to build a light-up sign. These NeoPixel strips are embedded inside a silicone diffuser, so it looks just like real neon. Build a LEGO neon NeoPixel sign with CircuitPython in this guide from Noah and Pedro. The current number of CircuitPython libraries is 266. This includes both the Adafruit CircuitPython libraries and the CircuitPython community libraries. There was one new Adafruit CircuitPython library this week, Adafruit CircuitPython Matrix Portal, one new community library, Pimeroni CircuitPython LTR559, and a number of updated libraries. As always, visit circuitpython.org libraries to download the latest Adafruit CircuitPython bundle. Included in this week's updates from the CircuitPython team, Dan now has HCI underscore BLEIO working completely for Nordic UART as a peripheral. This means he can use the Bluefruit LE Connect app to talk to CircuitPython over BLE using an ESP32 coprocessor available on, for example, the M4 Airlift or the Pi Portal. It is satisfying to finally see an end-to-end -end test working after being heads down in this code for weeks. He has a little cleanup to do, but will be submitting a PR soon. Jeff has continued working on the Sharp Memory Display PR, which was recently merged. STM32 support for SDIO was also belatedly merged after some neglect. He also did further work to reduce the memory usage on M0 boards so that we could add a new Japanese translation of the core. Melissa finally got the Matrix Portal library merged in, and now it is part of the bundle. If you're interested, you can look at it on GitHub. It has been used in a project that has a learn guide written. You can check out John Park's on-air sign. She's been working with John Park to write a couple of additional demos for using this library, so be sure to catch John Park's workshop each week to learn more. Another big project that she's been working on is to try and get the STM32MP1 working with Blinka. She spent some time building a custom Debian image so that installing Blinka on it would be much easier. Although the image currently isn't working, she is working with an engineer on the DigiKey forums to figure out the issue and then she can resume getting it working. 
In the meantime, she is working on porting the PyTFT installation from a shell script over to Python so that it will be simpler and easier to add new displays and maintain. PyCon AU is holding PyConline AU September 4th through 6th, 2020. Check out 2020.pycon.org.au for more information. PyGotham is a New York City-based eclectic Py-centric conference covering many topics. PyGotham TV is taking place October 2nd and 3rd, 2020 with a single track of talks presented online. The call for proposals is now open at cfp.pygotham.tv. Visit 2020.pygotham.tv for more information. PyCon India 2020 will be held online from October 3rd through 5th, 2020. Visit in.pycon.org 2020 for details regarding the conference. The Hackaday Remoticon will take place everywhere November 6th through 8th, 2020. It is a weekend packed with workshops about hardware creation, held virtually for all to enjoy. Call for proposals is now open. Details available on hackaday.com. Translating CircuitPython is now easier than ever. Translations make the project more accessible to a broader range of folks. Adding or improving translations is a great way to get started contributing to the project. With the help of fellow open source project Weblate, we're making it even easier. You can create a new account just for Weblate or sign in using other sites like GitHub or Google. If you write another language, visit adafru.it slash translatecp, sign in, and start translating. Looking for more Python on hardware all week? Join the Adafruit community on Discord and check out the Help with CircuitPython and CircuitPython channels. We're over 24,000 strong and continuing to grow. You'll find a supportive, positive community filled with like-minded folks. Join at adafru.it slash discord. And that is your Python on hardware news for this week. Visit adafruitdaily.com to subscribe to the newsletter or tune in again next week.